When evening came, Jesus was reclining at the table with the twelve. And while they were eating, he said, I tell you the truth, one of you will betray me. While they were eating, Jesus took bread, gave thanks and broke it, and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take this, take and eat, this is my body. Then he took the cup, gave thanks and offered it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to them, Sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Going a little further, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but you will. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Could you men not keep watch with me for one hour? He asked Peter. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the body is weak. He went away a second time and prayed, My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Could you men not keep watch with me for one hour? He asked Peter. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the body is weak. He went away a second time and prayed, My father, if if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away, unless I drink it, may your will be done. When he came back, he again found them sleeping, because their eyes were heavy. So he left them and went away once more, and prayed the third time, saying the same thing, Then he returned to the disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Look, the hour is near, and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Now, two readings to begin tonight. One, the Passover meal that Jesus celebrates with his disciples. The Passover meal that became the first Lord's Supper. And then Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. Firstly, the Passover, Jesus is gathered together with his disciples, with his close and intimate companions. The Passover meal, celebrating the events of the Exodus, when God delivered his people out of slavery in Egypt. It was in the Jewish calendar the most important celebration of the year, that Exodus the greatest event in the history of Israel, an event that pointed, though, to one day, an exodus far greater even than that. That night, as Jesus reclined around the table with his disciples, it turned out to be no ordinary Passover meal. His statement, one of you will betray me, must have been a shocking revelation 
not only to Judas, who had already agreed to betray him, but to the rest of the disciples. You can imagine at Jesus' words, one of you will betray me. The disciples would have looked at each other, their eyes darting one to the other. Who was it? Who was going to betray him? But something else astonishing happened. As Jesus led them in the Passover meal, instead of recalling the events of the Old Testament and the Exodus, he focused the spotlight on himself, saying, I am the sacrificial lamb who will, through my death, bring about a new exodus, a far greater exodus, the greatest possible exodus into a wholly different promised land, the exodus from sin to forgiveness to our restored relationship with the living God. So imagine in your minds when Jesus took the bread. For hundreds of years, the host of the meal had taken the bread and given thanks for God providing for his people in the wilderness. Familial, habitual scene, and Jesus took the bread and he said, and then he took the cup of wine, and instead of giving thanks for the first fruits of the earth, he said, This is my blood of the new covenant, poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Jesus declares that he is the once and for all atoning sacrifice for sin to build the bridge between humanity and God. Following the meal, the first Lord's Supper, Jesus and his disciples take a short walk, probably less than a mile, half an hour down the Kidron Valley to the Mount of Olives, and at the foot of the Mount of Olives to a place called Gethsemane, close to midnight, the darkest watch of the night. Jesus takes Peter and James and John deeper into the olive grove, away from the others. For Jesus, Matthew records, began to be sorrowful and troubled. And then he said to them, that is Peter and James and John, my soul is overwhelmed to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. With these instructions, he leaves the disciples whom he had taken with him deep into the olive grove and goes himself even deeper still. Going a little further, Jesus fell with his face to the ground and prayed, My Father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. Jesus alone, in the depth of the garden of Gethsemane, cries some of the most somber and sober words in Scripture as he contemplates the enormity and the horror of what it will mean to bear the wrath of God. He is overwhelmed with sorrow to the prospect of being forsaken by his Father. It is appropriate for us on this night that we contemplate 
the horror of what Jesus was to experience on the cross. It is important on Good Friday that we contemplate the horror of what we would have experienced had we not trusted in Jesus. It is important that we contemplate what we will experience if we will not trust in him. Twice, Jesus asks his father that the cup be taken from him. Twice, he acknowledges that if it is his father's will that he die, he will go to the cross that our sins might be forgiven. There is, though, a contrast between Jesus and his disciples as he submits to his Father's will, the disciples disobey him. He asks them to pray. They sleep. Why are they so helpless and weak as Jesus goes to his death? Because they desperately needed the cross. As we all do, no one is too good not to need it. No one is too bad not to merit it. All of us need the cross. You do, and I do. All of us do. Following the events of Gethsemane, Jesus is betrayed by Judas and arrested. He is abandoned by his disciples, Peter, one of his closest disciples, denying him three times just as Jesus had said he would. Jesus was then tried unjustly before the Sanhedrin and then unjustly before Pilate, the Roman governor, and is condemned to an unjust death. Barabbas, the one who is guilty and deserving of punishment, goes free, while Jesus, the one who is innocent, and deserving of no punishment, goes to a cross. The price of Barabbas' freedom is the death of Jesus, the Son of God. The price of our freedom and our forgiveness is the death of Jesus, the Son of God. It is astonishing the price that God paid that we might be free. Our next reading, entitled Jesus' Words from the Cross. Two other men, both criminals, were also led out with him to be executed. When they came to a place called the Skull, there they crucified him, along with the criminals, one on his right, the other on his left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they divided up his clothes by casting lots. One of the criminals who hung, on, hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence. We are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus answered him, I tell you the truth. Today you will be with me in paradise.
the events of these days unfold with dramatic quickness. Just 24 hours earlier, Jesus at the Passover meal had said, this is my body, this is my blood. He had gone from there to the Garden of Gethsemane, where alone in the middle of that olive grove, he asked his father, gazing into the cup of the wrath he would endure, that the cup might be shielded from him. And yet, his final words in the Garden of Gethsemane, yet not my will but you will be done. He came back to his disciples and saw them asleep. Jesus knew that he needed to die for them. And then he was tried unjustly, beaten unjustly. A man who is guilty as sin can be, Barabbas goes free. Even Barabbas, we can ponder in our hearts, would have sensed the injustice of what had been done. Pilate washed his hands of his blood, and Jesus was led, the Son of God without sin, to Calvary, where he was crucified on a Roman cross. On the cross, Jesus said a number of things. David has read the first two things that he said. Why did Jesus ask God to forgive those who had crucified him? At one level, they had no idea what they were doing. They were Roman soldiers carrying out their orders with ruthless effect. But at a deeper level, Jesus' prayer speaks of the sheer extent of God's grace in forgiveness. Jesus' death provides the very basis upon which those who nailed the nails into his hands could be forgiven. Through Jesus' death, everyone needs forgiveness, and anyone can be forgiven. And so Jesus prayed, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And to those who still mock the Lord Jesus, Jesus prays, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And that day God answered Jesus' prayer. One of the first converts after the death of Jesus was the Roman centurion. When the man who had supervised his death gazed at Jesus and heard him cry, He said, surely this man is the Son of God. And still today, those who mock the Lord Jesus are themselves the answer to his prayer. Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. They come to see that Jesus Christ is God. What are the two criminals who were along with Jesus? One mocked him and rejected him. The other repented of his sins and trusted Jesus for salvation. One is left 
one on his right, two divisions, two eternities. Every time I take a funeral service, it is incumbent upon me as a Christian minister to ask people if they are ready to die. For there are two ways to die. The Bible makes that absolutely clear. There are only two ways to die. You either die in Christ or you die outside of Christ. You either die like one of these criminals or you die like the other. To die in Christ is to die as a forgiven sinner with a promise of resurrection. Today you will be with me in paradise. To die not in Christ means that we die unforgiven and will be resurrected to face for eternity what Jesus faced when he hung on the cross. Remember me, Jesus, one cried. I tell you the truth. Today you will be with me in paradise. Save yourself, the other criminal cried. To whom Jesus said nothing. The repentant criminal is a wonderful picture of salvation by grace alone. You inherit salvation. That man who hung beside Jesus on the cross, what could he do to save himself? His hands were nailed to a crossbeam. Where could he go in order to justify his forgiveness? His feet were nailed to a cross. What could he do? What act of righteousness could he perform? All he could do was believe. As one old hymn puts it, nothing of ourselves we bring, simply to the cross we cling. That man could not even physically lay hold of the cross. I like to think that he turned his head, which is all he could do, and looked at his Savior, who died with him. It is astonishingly hard for human beings like us who think that relative to others we do not deserve judgment. It is astonishingly hard to accept that we need forgiveness. It is as hard to accept that there is nothing we can do to merit nor earn it. It is hard to realize that salvation is by grace alone through Christ alone. It is, though, the most wonderful and liberating thing when you do realize that. For then you realize that your forgiveness is fully assured because Christ has paid for your sins. When Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, He said to his mother, Dear woman, here is your son. 
And to the disciple, here is your mother. From that time up, time on, this disciple took her into his home. Later, knowing that all was now completed, and so that the scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. A jar of white, of wine vinegar was there. So they soaked a sponge in it, put the sponge on a stalk of a hyssop plant, and lifted it to Jesus' lips. At the sixth hour, darkness came over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama shabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It is profoundly moving what Jesus did while he hung on the cross. He prayed for the man who nailed his hands and his feet that he would be saved, and he was. He turned to the man to his side and was able to say to him, because he believed in Jesus, today you will be with me in paradise. And then he commended his mother to the care of the disciple whom he loved, John. And what Jesus said to his mother to the disciples, and indeed us through the pages of Scripture, was that his earthly relationship with his mother was now over. When he is raised from the dead, he will no longer be her earthly son, but our Lord. Jesus' words, I am thirsty, are only in fulfillment of Scripture. But remind us that Jesus was thirsty, that as he hung on the cross fully God, he hung on the cross fully human. It is God who hung on the cross, fully God, but fully man. Perhaps he asks for a drink to quench his parched mouth So he could then cry out from the cross, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? These words, a quotation from Psalm 22, take us to the very heart of what the Lord Jesus endured on the cross that we might be forgiven. As Jesus hung on the cross, God vented his righteous anger against sin on his Son. God's judgment God's punishment for sin directed at Jesus. Why? Because Jesus is dying on the cross for our sins, bearing our hell that we might share heaven. Hell is the judgment of God. Hell is the full fury of the wrath of God unleashed. Hell is as real as heaven. Jesus is experiencing hell on that cross that we might be forgiven. Listen to these words to describe the forsakenness of Jesus. And now when he had cried, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? God had closed his ears. The crowd had not stopped jeering. The demons had not stopped taunting. The pain had not abated. 
Instead, every circumstance bespoke the anger of God, and there was no countering voice. This time, no word came from heaven to remind him he was God's son and greatly loved. No dove came down to assure him of the Spirit's presence and ministry. No angel came to strengthen him. Jesus did not merely feel forsaken. He was utterly forsaken. Not by his disciples, not even by us, but by his Father. It was, in the end, God the Father who delivered him to Judas, to the Jews, to Pilate, to the cross, and to his wrath. But for those who trust in him, all that he bore, we will not. But for those who will not trust in him, they will bear all that he bore for eternity. So you see, it is of profound importance that we turn like that thief did to Jesus for our salvation. When Jesus had received the drink, he said, it is finished. And Jesus called out in a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And when he had said this, he breathed his last. As tragic and as awful are the words, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? As wonderful are the words, it is finished. Tetelestai in Greek, it is accomplished. Jesus' work of bearing the penalty for our sin, the wrath of God for all who will believe in him, was, when he cried, it is finished, extinguished for eternity. The wrath of God satisfied in the sinless body of the Son of God. If we have trusted in Jesus as Savior and Lord, then in the words of Psalm 103, as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. You cannot watch the sun rise and the sun set simultaneously. You must turn your back on one to see the other. God looks at us if we have trusted in Jesus and does not see our sin. For the sun has set on our sin because the Son of God died for our sin. When he looks at us, he does not see our sin for the sun has set on our sin. He sees Jesus, whose righteousness now clothes us. And the final cry from Jesus on his cross, 
Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. He commends his human spirit, his soul to God, before his body is resurrected to be united with his soul. And that is a picture of how someone in Christ dies. When someone in Christ dies, their soul immediately is in the presence of God and their body, like Christ's, will be raised.